Hello, and welcome to Bible 101 Podcast. Today we're going to be actually revamping our Bible 101 series, and we're going to take it and condense it way down. I've noticed an increasing amount of interest on the Bible 101 series. Still, people are going through it lesson by lesson on both the Anchor and Podbean platforms, and I thank God for that. It's very exciting to me. And uh, I haven't taken time to count how many people have gone through them, but it is a great amount of people, and I I thank God for that. And my mind is blown. I never would have imagined uh, in the beginning of doing it that it would get so much interest. However, uh, one thing about it is it is 38 lessons long. I'm going to take it and condense it way down. We're only going to focus on the major themes in the Old and New Testament, and I'm going to attempt to do the entire Bible 101 series in as few as seven lessons. So, uh, prayerfully... Walk with me through the Word of God. Now, let me tell you who this uh, series is geared towards. It's geared towards people that have always wanted to know more about the Bible, but they feel absolutely overwhelmed at the task of studying the Bible. And so that's who this is geared towards. I want to help you to understand the Bible, and I'm going to do it in as simple uh, terms as possible. I'm not going to use a lot of big words. I'm not going to make this complicated. I want to make this as simple as possible. So, Uh, Do me a favor, get your Bible down and open your Bible up to the first few pages. And depending on what edition you might have, you ought to have a table of contents. Now I want you to just look at the table of contents first. And uh, before we actually begin the lesson, let's just familiarize ourselves with the biblical text and kind of the order of things. What you'll see is the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Bible split into these two major uh, sections. It is the Old Testament and the New Testament. If that word testament seems foreign to you, well, it just simply means covenant. A covenant is an agreement between two parties. So you can think of it this way. Old Testament covers the law and the New Testament covers the period of grace. Now I understand there's... there's, uh, there are subsections within each of these. I'm not going to get into all that. Like I said, I'm going to make this as simple as possible. you got the Old Testament, the New Testament. So kind of think of it as Old Testament law, New Testament grace. Does that mean we can just take the Old Testament and throw it out? Well, no, absolutely not. The New Testament validates the Old Testament, and I want to prove this to you. So look at your table of contents in the New Testament. I want you to follow down through. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But then skip on ahead. You're going to see the book of 2 Timothy. It comes after the book of 1 Timothy, and it comes uh, before the book of Titus. And let's go there, 2 Timothy. Now, let me just tell you this. As you're trying to follow along, if I'm moving too fast for you, all you've got to do is pause the recording. It's the beauty of, of podcasting. Just pause the recording and find it in your Bible. And then hit play again and follow along with me. Book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Paul writing, he says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That word perfect means complete thoroughly furnished unto all good works thoroughly furnished thoroughly equipped unto all good works so so many people say well i really want to do better i want to be a better person i want to do good works well how do you do good works you can become equipped to do good works by reading and studying the word of god now something important here that when paul wrote this 
he was uh, writing in a time when the New Testament was not yet in full circulation. Some books had been written, but uh, they were not in full circulation, and uh, other books had yet to be, to be written. And so Paul says this, all Scripture, talking about the Old Testament, is given by inspiration of God. Now let me just ask you, if all Scripture, talking about the Old Testament, is given by inspiration of God, what part of it can we take and throw away? The answer is none of it. It's all given by inspiration of God. So we don't need to take any of it and throw it away. For more proof of this, let's go to the book of 2 Peter. And you're going to need to flip over a few books here. Flip past the book of Titus, past the book of Philemon, past the book of Hebrews, past the book of James, past the book of 1 Peter, and you're going to see 2 Peter. And we're going to go to chapter number 1, um, and we will go to verse number uh, 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So notice what he's saying this. No, we're going to read it again. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean that it's of uh, private interpretation? It means of its own interpretation. So he's saying, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of its own interpretation. So it's not just men speaking off the top of their head or writing off the top of their head, but it says this, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. As God inspired them to speak, they spoke. They wrote as God told them to write. Now, you'll read many, many accounts in the Old Testament of it saying, God said, or the Lord spake unto them, saying. Uh, so God was the one that inspired the writings of the Old Testament. And it's very clear that uh, it claims to be God's inspired word. And it proves itself by fulfilled prophecies and by its application in your life and how it works. So uh, there's so many beautiful things written in the Old Testament, we cannot afford to throw it out. One more verse of Scripture in the New Testament I'd like to take time to read, though I could read many, many others. The New Testament many times quotes the Old Testament. So let's flip back and go to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let's look at the book of Luke. That's the third gospel, so it's the third book in the New Testament. Right before the book of John comes right after the book of Mark. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, last chapter in the book of Luke. If you have a red letter edition, what we're about to read here is going to be in red letters. So Luke chapter 24, verse number 46. Jesus speaking, this is after he's been crucified, he, he's died, he was buried in the tomb, he rose the, on the third day, and he spoke these words to those that he appeared to in Luke chapter 24 and verse 46 and said unto them thus it is written and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem okay so notice what he said he said thus it is written well, where is it written let's back up Verse 44, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. That's very important, the law of Moses. What's he talking about? First five books in your Old Testament, first five books in the Bible, are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. All five of these books were written by Moses. So, Jesus just validated the first five books of your Bible. And then notice this. He said, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets. What does that mean? Major prophets, minor prophets, probably encapsulates even more than that. 
but so uh, you're looking at if you look at your table of contents here keep your your uh, finger in Luke 24 and look again at the table of contents and what you'll see is all the way from Isaiah to Malachi in the Old Testament that's what's considered the prophets okay so Jesus validated already much of the Old Testament then he says and in the Psalms concerning me obviously speaking about the Psalms so Jesus validated much of the Old Testament with this one little phrase that he said here in the Bible he said and it all testifies about me about what I came to do all right for more proof of that let's go over now to the book of John and we're going to go to uh, the book of John, and uh, let's uh, let's see. Uh, I want to uh, go actually to John chapter number John chapter five and verse number thirty-nine. John five thirty-nine comes right after the book of Luke. John chapter five verse number thirty-nine. Jesus speaking again. If you have a red letter edition of your Bible, it means Jesus uh, when he spoke. They put it in red letters. Well. This is in red letters. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Again, Jesus is talking about your Old Testament. So, we can't just take the Old Testament and throw it out, because it validates the New Testament. And so, uh, remember, the Old Testament was written first, and it claims to be the Word of God. It's validated by the New Testament. All right, now that we've mentioned all that, let's actually look at what the Old Testament says. Now, again, we're only going to focus on the major themes of the Old Testament, but this first lesson, you have to understand that much of the history of the Old Testament is recorded in the book of Genesis. Genesis covers a lot of time, uh, a huge, huge, huge time period. And so we're going to actually go to the book of Genesis, and we're going to find out that Genesis is the book of beginnings. That's what the word Genesis means. It records the beginning of creation. It records the beginning of mankind. It records the beginning of sin. It records the beginning of the nation of Israel. So it is the book of beginnings. Okay, so rather than take a lot of time to read through Genesis chapter number one, we're only going to kind of focus on some of the major uh, themes in the book of Genesis, but we will read some scripture here and there. I do want to take time to read the first verse of your Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse number one. By the way, um, this is not meant to replace your Bible reading. This is actually to encourage you to read your Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse number one says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, that word created in the Hebrew is only used to describe the created acts of God. What it means is to literally create from nothing. It, you need to understand God didn't need any kind of pre-existing matter to create the heaven and the earth. He created it from nothing. That's testified about many times in your Bible. Now, uh, it goes on to describe this. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, something you need to understand here is when God created the earth, that didn't mean everything was perfect in its beginning. Uh, a lot of people want to see something in verse number 2 that's not really there, but just read it for what it says. It says, And the earth was without form and void. It was void. It was empty. Uh, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. It was dark. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. It started with a move of the Spirit. And then it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So it started with God's Spirit moving, and then His Word spoke. If you want to understand the Bible, 
You're going to need two things to really help you to understand it. You're going to need the Spirit of God, and you need to understand that this is the Word of God. You have to approach it with the right perspective. Well, the Spirit of God will help you to understand the Word of God better, and we'll talk more about that later. Okay, so then the creative days, we find out, are there are six of them. And I want to just kind of, uh, rather than take time to read them all, I'm going to tell you what happens on each of these days. Please take time to read them yourself. On the first day, light appears, and light and darkness are divided. On the second day, waters above are divided from waters below. On the third day, the earth and sea are divided, grass and trees brought forth. Uh, then on the fourth day, we have the sun and moon given for light. Uh, to give given for times and seasons. On the fifth day, sea creatures, fowls of the air are created. On the sixth day, cattle, beasts, and the first man, Adam, is created. And then the Bible says that God rested on the seventh day. Now, this kind of brings a lot of things into perspective, but it tells us that God sets some time aside for resting, but really the Bible actually says he hallowed it. He made it holy. The seventh day was a holy day, a time uh, that we need to dedicate to God. It's not because God needed to rest, but it's because God was setting a pattern for mankind that we are to rest on the seventh day. That would be one of the Ten Commandments. He would command us to take the Sabbath to rest. What did, what, what did he do this for? Well, he did it so that we would understand that really, it's all God's. All seven days are God's. But God said, one day I want you to set aside to worship me. One day I want you to set aside to praise me. And so we need to remember that our life belongs to God. He deserves our time. So can I just tell you, you, you taking time to sit down and study the Bible here with me today is not wasted time at all. Uh, this is all the time belongs to God, but God asks us to take a little bit of time each day, each week to spend time studying his word, spend time worshiping him, spend time praying to him. All he asks is for a little bit. He could demand it all, but he asks that you give him a little bit of time. Yes, give him all your life. Yes, give him everything, but he only asks for a little bit of your time. All right, so the Bible tells us that he created the earth in six days. He rested on the seventh. Then chapter number two gives us some specific details. It tells us about the beginning of the creation of man, how that when it came time to create man, now God had spoken many things into existence, but he created animals out of the dust of the ground, and he also created man out of the dust of the ground. Then verse number 7 of Genesis chapter 2 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We're made up of three components, body, soul, and spirit. Well, the body was made by God. It was made out of the dust of the earth. The spirit was breathed into us. The soul, we became a living soul when the breath of God entered us. So the spirit, the soul belonged to God. You may say, well, I need to take care of my body. I need to, uh, you know, to, to eat healthy, to make sure I live as long as possible, to work out. Um, there, these are things you do to, to build up the body. Those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with them. But you need to remember that more important than your body, because your body's going to pass away one of these days, but the Bible tells us the spirit goes back to God that sent it, and the soul is eternal. The soul will live forever in either heaven or hell. 
And so obviously the spirit, the soul, these things are the most important. Your soul is the most important thing that you can invest in. So more important than working out with your body, more important than, uh, than eating healthy and all of, and these things are important to help you live a little bit longer, to take care of yourself and see your doctor on a regular basis. But more important than all of that is your soul. That's why I mentioned that studying the Word of God, taking time to sit down and read the Bible and, and go through these Bible 101 lessons is so important to you. It's more important than working out. It's more important than anything you might do to beef up your body or to make it look better, to make yourself more healthy, because that soul is going to live forever. That body may live 70 years, it may live 80, it may live 100, or it may only live 30. We, we don't have any assurance of how long we're going to live on this earth, but the soul is what's most important. So take time to feed your soul. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2 uh, goes on to tell us that the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. This is verse 8 of Genesis 2. And there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant in the sight, and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, notice some people may say, well, why did God put this tree in the middle of the garden? Well, he put it there to give mankind a choice. He didn't want a robot. He wanted man to have a choice of whether or not he would serve God. So he put this tree right in the middle of the garden. And then notice that it says verse 16. Let's skip down here. Actually, let's read verse 15 too. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. So God put only one thing in front of that tree to protect it. He didn't put uh, a fence around it. He didn't put an angel in front of it. But what he did uh, put in front of it is his word. And so today, if you want to avoid sin, if you want to avoid the snares and the traps of Satan and the, the devil, then uh, the word of God is the only thing that's going to protect you. So it's going to behoove you to learn the word of God, learn what it has to say. So we're going to see that uh, this is going to be a problem when it comes to Adam and Eve. And then it says, verse number 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found an help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not Ashamed. Some people have said perhaps the reason they were not ashamed is because they were clothed with the glory of God. In all actuality, uh, they were not ashamed. They didn't have any reason to be ashamed. Nakedness after this is going to be forever associated with shame. But here, they were not ashamed. Why should they be ashamed? There's no sin. Uh, they're in the presence of a holy God. So they don't have to worry about anything like lust, and they don't have to worry about any guilt associated with their nakedness because sin had not yet entered into the world. But chapter 3, remember this records beginnings of all things? Well, Genesis chapter 3, it records the beginning of sin. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That word subtle means crafty. It means wise. 
but it more more think along the lines of crafty. It says, uh, Then any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Okay, now notice something here. When God gave the command, he first of all said, uh, You can eat of every tree of the garden. Go back and read it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. But then he said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eat that thou shalt eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. When well, Genesis chapter 3 Satan speaking through the serpent. We're going to find out later this is Satan working through the serpent. Him being crafty, he crafted this in such a way to, to not focus on their liberties, but to focus on the restrictions. And he said, did God really say you can't eat of every tree of the garden? And then notice how the woman responds. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, or in the middle, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now stop. Something interesting here. God did not say don't touch it. He only said don't eat it. Go back and read the command again in uh, Genesis 2 and 17. He did not say don't touch it. He said don't eat it. So this could be attributed to either Adam adding to the command of God or, number two, the woman not being familiar with the word of God. Now, let me focus a little bit on the latter and just tell you here today that the devil can easily trip you up if you do not know the word of God. Because so many people say, well, I'm basically a good person. Well, what does the word of God have to say about that? Because the Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Somebody may say, well, sin doesn't really hurt me. It's, it's not hurting anybody, um, and I, I think it's okay to do this. I mean, who, who are you to tell me that this is the sin, or is that, that is a sin? But the Bible says sin is harmful, number one, because Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So it tells us it is harmful, and there is such a thing as sin. The Bible tells us in the book of Ezekiel that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. So God hates sin. Sin brings separation between you and God. We're going to read about that here in just a minute. So if you don't know the Bible, the devil can really play a lot of mind games with you. Well, apparently the woman didn't know the Bible very well. She didn't know the Word of God. Uh, obviously they didn't have a Bible back then, but she didn't know the Word of God very well. And so the devil uses this to play a mind game with her. It says, uh, verse number four, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now, if you read the initial command, God says, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Well, notice the devil added one word. He just changed one word, word around, and he says, Ye shall not surely die. He played a little mind game with her and just kind of replaced a word here. Ye shall not surely die. God said, Thou shalt surely die. And he said, ye shall not surely die. That's why it's so dangerous to add to or to take away from the word of God. That's why you need to know the Bible. Take time to learn it. Take time to read it. It may seem challenging. It may seem daunting to you. Um, and it can be a daunting task, at least in your flesh. But that's why you need to allow God to do a work in your life and submit yourself to the word of the Lord. If you read in Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 19, the last book of your Bible, and we're going to read in chapter 22, last chapter of your Bible, verse 19. You may have a concordance in the back. You may have to flip back a little bit to get to it. But Revelation chapter 22 and verse 19, remember, pause the recording if you need more time to find it, says this, 
And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, excuse me, let's back up verse 18. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto them the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So God said, if you take anything away, I'm going to take your name out of the book of life, which means you won't be saved. He said, if you add to, God's going to add to you the plagues. Well, if you read the book of Revelation, that means you won't be saved. You'll, you'll die by the plagues, just like uh, the other sinners. So don't add to and don't take away from the word of God. Well, this is exactly what the devil did. He is the author of adding to and taking away from the word of God. He was the first one to do it. And so he confused the woman and he, he deceived her. The Bible talks about, uh, I believe it's in the book of Romans, that the woman was deceived. The man was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. The serpent was crafty. He was intelligent. He knew just how to phrase this and just what words to add and just what words to take away to confuse the woman to bring that deception. Verse 5, he goes on to say, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now there's partial truth in this, because if you move forward here, go to verse number 22 of Genesis 3. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now notice what God said. He said the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. Well, then what did Satan say? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. He told them partial truth, but he kept back part of it. Because what he did not mention was the penalty. The devil knows how to paint sin with such a pretty picture uh, and to leave the results of sin out. Like I said earlier, say, well, my sin's not hurting me. It feels good, but the wages of sin is death. And that's not just talking about a physical death. That's talking about the second death, also in hell, that eternity without God. So it brings punishment with it. So the devil wants to paint a picture of drugs and make it look appealing and make it uh, feel so good to you. But what he doesn't tell you about it is the people that burn their minds out on drugs or spend uh, much of their life in prison because they can't break that drug habit and they have to sell drugs and they have to obtain them illegally. And he doesn't want to show you the people in the rehab clinics that are desperately trying to break free from the spell of drugs. See, he only paints the beautiful picture of it. You know, he'll show you the immorality and how good it feels and how attractive it is. But what he won't show you is the broken hearts and the broken families and the children out of wedlock and, and all of the different other things. He won't show you the penalty of sin, but he'll show you the quote-unquote beauty of sin. The Bible even admits in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 that sin is pleasurable for a season. And then this is what it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to, to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves a aprons. Notice, sin brings with it shame. That's the first thing I want to point out. Sin brings with it shame. 
okay? And then verse number 8, And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Why did they hide themselves? Because they were ashamed. Your shame will bring separation between you and God. You won't feel like going to church because you're ashamed of your lifestyle. You won't feel like opening the Bible to read it because you feel like the Bible condemns you. It brings shame. Sin did that. Sin brought shame into your life. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Notice, he passed the blame. Uh, if you want forgiveness from God, the first thing you've got to do is admit you've got a problem. Admit you've got a sin problem. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, 1 John 1 and 9, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But that's a big if. You've got to begin with confession. Not trying to make excuses. Well, I confess, but no, take, take that out of it and just confess, God, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. That's how it starts. You've got to confess that you sinned, that you made a mistake. But Adam passed the blame. That's where that started. Then notice what happens. It says, verse 13, The Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree by which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. So I want to point out a couple of things here. Notice, sin brings shame, and sin brings separation between you and God. Also, sin brings with it a penalty. They had to pay a price for their sin. Yes, we're going to read later on that God had a substitute that day. And let's, let's go ahead and read about that here. Now, remember, God said, In the day that ye eat thereof, thou shalt surely die. There was a type of spiritual death that happened that day, but physically, God did not kill them. Remember, His word said, You shall surely die. But notice, Genesis 3, verse 21, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. The word coats of skins literally means animal skins. God killed an animal and he clothed their shame. He clothed their nakedness, which was now associated with sin. Remember, sin brought shame, but he clothed their shame with the animal skins. This was a beautiful type of Calvary and what Jesus would do later on because he took our shame upon the cross. He paid the price for our sin. Remember, the word of God said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But they did not die physically that day. God had a substitute. Yes, they would still die. Punishment still had to happen. But God, uh, God showed his grace. What happened is uh, God's mercy 
and God's uh, law uh, met together. The Bible says righteousness and peace have kissed each other. They met together, and God, what he did, he satisfied his justice by giving them a substitute, an animal that he killed. If you read uh, who was the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, because this would institute animal sacrifice. We're going to read about animal sacrifice over and over and over again in the Old Testament. But I want to show you something beautiful. Let's go over quickly to the book of John. Let's go over quickly to the book of John. And uh, the book of John tells us something here so important. Let's go to the book of John chapter number 1. Go to the book of John chapter number 1. And uh, I want to uh, actually read this here. Uh, let's go to the book of John. Let's see what verse. Uh, let's go to verse number thirty-five. Again, the next day, after John, John stood talking about John the Baptist and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, "Behold, the Lamb of God! Behold, the Lamb of God!" Jesus would be known as that sacrificial lamb that would take the place for our punishment. He took our sins upon his back, and he suffered in our place. So just like that animal that died in the place of Adam and Eve in the garden that day, Jesus died in our place. That's not just the, uh, be, that's not just the ending of the beauty in chapter 3 of Genesis. Because if you look back at what God said to the serpent. Let's go back. Genesis 3 and 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This isn't just talking about the natural uh, enemy that mankind feels toward a snake. Uh, but what it is talking about here is in prophecy. This is known as the first messianic prophecy, the first prophecy of the coming Messiah, Jesus. And what he said is, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That word enmity means enemy. So the seed of the woman is going to be the enemy of the seed of the serpent. And it says, it shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman is going to crush your head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. To use an illustration you may survive a wound uh, to your heel. Most likely you're going to survive it. But a wound to the head is much more lethal. And so let me just say this. What he's talking about is that the seed of the woman would forever crush the head of the serpent. That's exactly what happened. Jesus came and he destroyed the power of death. He destroyed the power of sin. He gave us access into the presence of God. He forever crushed the head of the devil. And one of these days, he's going to take that devil and throw him into, uh, into hell forever to burn for as long as God lives. But he crushed the devil. The seed of the woman crushed the head of the devil. This was spoken in prophecy. And so even though Genesis 3 ends in sadness... Because the Bible says that at the end of this chapter, the Lord God threw the man and woman out of the garden. He put an angel with a flaming sword to guard the way to the tree of life. Because as long as they ate from the tree of life, they could live forever. But he blocked the way to the tree of life. But what we're going to see here is the fact that even though it seems hopeless and even though this is a dark, bleak picture as they're cast out of the garden, he did not leave us without a message of hope. 
He did not leave Adam and Eve without a message of hope because there was going to come a day where the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the devil. So that's the end of lesson number one. In lesson number two, we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. We're going to talk up into the flood. We're going to talk about uh, how that God ended up having to flood the earth because mankind became so wicked. But then we're going to talk about how God found a man by the name of Noah uh, to, uh, to put into a boat and him and his family were spared. And then we're going to talk about Abraham. So uh, again, we're condensing this down and we're going to do our best to teach all the way through the Bible in seven lessons. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity that we've had to study the Word of God. Lord, I'm praying, Jesus, that the hungry soul that's listening to this, because they wouldn't be listening to this unless they were hungry for God. Lord, I pray that you would speak to their heart and help them to receive your Word, to continue to study it. Lord, let these lessons spark a hunger in their heart to study the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Please listen to Bible 101, Lesson 2.